Brother. Brother. This is a production of Dirty Mo Media. Brother, let me tell you something, brother. I won't. Racing mm. 24 hours a day. Mm. Oh. You ain't got to work. Cut promos. Oh. Mm-hmm. But for these giant ass scores, they can't really see. Giant ass scores. <laughs> the Dale Jr. Download. Hey, everybody. It's Dale Jr. <laughs> for another episode of the Dale Jr. Download. Co host Mike Davis, producer Matthew Dillner, and social media guru Leah Vaughn is here. Let's bring in our guests. Man, I'm excited about this. Jeff Burton's in the house, and it's going to be a great show. He's got some great stories, I know. All right, so uh, welcome to the studio, Jeff Burton, my teammate. That's right. Right? Yeah. We're teammates. What are we, co-workers? Yeah, I'd say we're both. Yeah. You could be teammates and co-workers, I think. Colleagues. I'd go that. Booth mates, that's a little weird. It's hard to say workers because I don't really feel like we work. <laughs> oh, you don't? <laughs> yeah. Watching racing? Man, you, yeah, it's true. It's hard to hard to imagine you can have so much fun. Y'all have enough meetings. Y'all have I enough thought production that was only, meetings. I thought you could only do that in driving race cars. Uh, you do it talking about them, too. Yeah, I guess. But I, I feel like y'all, you can justify calling it work by all the production meetings you guys do. They're pretty easy, though. There's yeah, not, we're, 10 we minutes, do, 15 minutes. Yeah. We don't really have any responsibilities in there. It's more, I think I'd, it, if you're a producer or somebody in there running it, run, doing something in one of them trucks. You guys just they, listen? They seem like they're under pressure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. They, they, they have a they, little bit more. They got timelines. Like, so they'll give us a sheet of paper, and uh, they'll give us a you know a rundown of the introduction of the, of the race and the show and how we're going to come on air and all that, and it's down to the minute, down to the, mm-hmm. you know, and, it's, and they – Stick to it. I didn't think it was. I didn't know it was that d- deliberate. Yeah, and I don't know how they do it with us. Stick to the, stick to the <laughs> second because we just keep talking and right. carrying on. But the meetings are fun. Like we have a good time. We laugh and carry on. It's not like a. It's not like a normal meeting. It's like just a bunch of guys getting together talking about what the hell's going to happen next few hours. It's it's not a. It's not okay. Yeah. So yeah. so you, so got, I, you listen, really guys the don't travel. Really the travel <laughs> is the part where it's work. Is it? That's the only part that would consider it work. But the the actual. Once you get there, and all, yeah. we don't we don't work. All right. Well, I'm done feeling sorry for you because I, I I now I'm convinced. I mean, it's hard. We're hard, hard <laughs> enjoyment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got gotcha. you. I thought that if this makes any sense, everywhere I think everywhere in the workplace, it's competitive, right? You got people that like your job, they'd love to do your job, and then everybody's trying to go forward, move up get up to that next opportunity and, and get the next raise and, and, and so forth and aspire to do more and do different. And when you're driving race cars, especially at the cup level, you're there, you know. And now there's drivers that have to look over their shoulder, absolutely. I mean, more probably half the field or more have to be worried about their jobs, but I never did. And, you know, when I was, when I was driving, I, I, I admittedly, I mean, I didn't have to worry about my security as much and mm. it wasn't a competitive atmosphere is what I'm trying to say the point I'm trying to make and when I left driving cars and I was getting ready to go into the broadcast booth I thought that it would be competitive like this was going to be new for me I was going to go into the real workforce and there would be competition and and wouldn't be nobody system and nobody's going to have their arm around me and um I you know it, it's a, I just was bracing myself I guess for it to be 
very uh, tough, you mm. know, and you got to work, you got to deliver, you got to be ready, and you better have your stuff together and be prepared. And Now, you do. I mean, they want you to be great. Um, but, man, I was really surprised how – I was really surprised that it's really similar to how it has been for me pretty much most of my racing career as far as comfortable, friendly, uh, a, a positive environment, supportive environment – and it started with Jeff. I mean, obviously, I was going to work with Steve, and he's like, yeah, it'll be great. Yeah. I'm like, man, I'd like to come broadcast, and maybe I could come broadcast with you, and we could be back together, and that'd be awesome. <laughs> but Jeff called me and was like, hey, uh, you remember that phone call? I did. He's I like, did. He's like, we want you to come. We want you to be part of the team. And I wasn't I – didn't, I didn't know if I could be a broadcaster. I didn't know – I'm thinking in my head, man, there's a lot to learn, and I don't know, no, I don't know nothing about it. But he, he was probably the one that convinced me to dive in. Um, Steve was a friend, very supportive. We're very close. Um, but Steve didn't sit down and go, "Here, man, we, you know, this is what I want. It's what I'd like. This is what I think you should do." And um, just sort of very. I don't know how to explain your sort of approach to things, but he's very matter of fact and has you know this is a, this is, this is a good way to go about something. Uh, I think he's gets that as a father with Harrison. He's in a mode with Harrison right now, trying to get his career established, and he's very structured. And uh, so is in every most conversations with Jeff are pretty to the point. <laughs> but um, so you gave him advice, is what, yeah. what you're saying. It, was it, was, awesome. it wasn't just, uh, "Hey, we we want to have you uh, a part of the team," but he also gave you ways to be really made, to, to not suck. He more than anybody, I think, made me feel real comfortable with doing something that I was extremely uncomfortable with. It, it, listen, the, the the reason that I wanted Junior on the team was because number one, we are a team, and number two, we're a team that loves racing. Yeah. And so I, there's no one that loves racing more than, than Junior. And, and, and I didn't care. Like, I, I, I had zero, absolutely zero concern that, that he could come on air and just be him. Right? That's what, that's what TV – that's what our TV is. Like, they don't ask us to be people we're not. Right? So I knew that – I knew that as much as he loved racing and the perspective that he had, that it would make, our, it would make the broadcast better. Mm. Right, and a lot of people when, when uh, he started to come on, a lot of people were like, "Well, what's that going to mean to you?" Right, and I, and I like, was well, wanting to ask you that. Is uh, that, you know, that's natural for people to start questioning that, right? Well, yeah, but it wasn't for me because I, I was, I'm secure enough in in my relationship with the people that I work with. I wasn't concerned that him coming in was going to. I knew it was going to change my job, but I thought in the, for the better because I thought now we had more people that know the sport that could come in and and talk about it. And I think that's what's the most fun about what we do is we get to explain things that a fan that hadn't been involved in it almost can't know it. And I'm not talking down to a fan when I say that, but, you know, I don't know what it's like to drop back in the pocket and pass a football. Like, I watch it on TV, but, hell, I don't really know what that's like, right? And so the great opportunity we have is to explain that. And and I felt bringing him into our team would just make that way better, and mm. and it was just that simple. It and and there was no question in my mind that he could get comfortable with that uh, once he got in there with us. It's intimidating to think you're going to be talking to millions of people and 
you know, anytime you slip up and say something, they're going to jump on you about it. You know, that's a little intimidating. But once you get in the situation where it's just your buddies, like, you know, just sitting around talking, it becomes way easier. And you have to learn, you know, learn to laugh at yourself when you do something that is silly because you're going to. And I knew once he got in that situation that all that would, all those anxieties of, of being on TV would go away. Well, now that we're uh, this far, now that I'm this far into it, I guess I'm curious how you made that decision to get into broadcasting. It's, well, it was, a, it was a couple of things. I wanted to drive for for another year. I mean, really? Yeah. So I was, I was, uh, I had pretty much told Richard that the following year, um, the year that I ended up being my last year, the next year I wanted to be my last year, and that was going to coincide with NBC. So uh, Sam Flood had reached out to me. Actually, Marty Marty Snyder reached out to me, and uh, and it, I ended up sitting down with Jeff with Jeff Binky and Sam Flood. And um, I'd known knew Sam for a long time, but didn't really know him. You know, knew him, had done some st- things with him, but but um, and when NBC was when Sam was covering the sport before, anytime an issue was going on, they would come and interview me about it. And so right. I got you know the respect of Sam through that, and then uh, it was pretty quickly you know I realized that the timing was going to work out, so that uh, my driving career was going to end, but this opportunity came up and, and uh, Rick Allen and I did the very first NASCAR America together in Stanford, Connecticut. We were taping them. It took like five hours to do a NASCAR <laughs> America. Like, wow. And after one show, I looked at Rick. I said, I ain't doing this no more. Like, I, I can't, this, this, I can't do this. Like, this like, that's funny. Ours were live though. It was <clears throat> live, but I don't think you enjoyed it any more than he did in his first show either. You were, you were uh, quite. Cause yeah. I sucked at it. <laughs> well, I, I think that's what, is that what you're saying too? You I don't know if I sucked at it or not. I just know that like we were taping them, and it was like it took like five hours. Was to Sam do the there? Thing. No, the Olympics. That's are the going problem. On. The Olympics because are Sam going was on. there for yours, and there's no questioning. If you suck, Sam will tell you you suck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember him going into the break after of the yours first segment. after the first segment, saying, He's "You like, know, this is awful. Wake <laughs> up, wake up." <laughs> So That's you didn't, perfect. You, yeah. Putting us to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't well, have that. So naturally, yours went five hours. Mine went, we, we taped it for five hours. Okay. But everybody was in the Olympics. Like the, almost everybody from that building was at the Olympics. So it was we weren't doing it live, and it was it was a it was a mess. And and uh, but you know the the timing of all that worked out. I wanted to drive another year um, and not have a not have a farewell tour, but I wanted to drive another year for me just for me and my family to go um, experience the Southern 500 for what I knew would be the last time. You know, all of those things that um, after doing it as long as I had done it, I wanted that opportunity for me. You wanted to, the finality. Like you wanted yeah, to be able to yeah. go, okay, this is the last time and yeah. be able to kind of like just know the moment is it and appreciate but it. But not just me. My family has lived it with me, right? So I wanted it for them too. I wanted, uh, and it wasn't, a, you know, and again, it wasn't about, you know, I didn't care if a racetrack said, hey, it's Jeff Burton's last race. I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't about that. It was about just me going into a year, uh, knowing it was my last year and being able to race and experience things from that. I'd never done that before, right? And, and he and I were racing at Richmond. We had both locked ourselves into the playoffs. It was the last race before the playoffs right. started. And that race was the single most fun race I've ever run in my life because it meant, it didn't mean like it, the weight was off my mm-hmm. shoulders. It was just so much fun. I wanted to go through a year yeah. where I didn't have to worry about next year. I'm just going to go race 
and to hell with it. Whatever happens, happens. And but anyway, that didn't work out, and um, it didn't work out for all the right reasons, you know. So you know, Richard had an opportunity uh, to bring Ryan Newman in. Uh, they had an opportunity to extend a contract with sponsors and all those things. It was, all that was right. You know, all that was right. And on the other side, I didn't really have that. The TV deal wasn't done by any means, but it was lingering out there. And I was like, well, maybe I can spend a year getting ready for TV, right? Mm. So it just all that worked out. So I had a year of doing uh, NASCAR Americas, which we ultimately ended up not taping them anymore, which was a blessing from God. And, and, uh, <laughs> because taping a show sucks, but, <laughs> but, uh, but that's how all that worked out. So I got a year of working with Rick, Rick Allen, spent a lot of time with Rick in a work environment. So I got to know Rick really well. And that's, that's how it all got started. So, um, but you did run some races for Michael and I did, what was that deal all about? So they hired me, MWR hired me because Scott Miller was there and Clint Borey was there and I had worked with them at RCR and, uh, they wanted me to come in and be kind of a big picture guy, you know, look at things going on within the company about how to help move forward performance-wise. Because the truth is, that was I was better at that than I was a driver. So I went there to do that, but that never happened. Like, it just never, with the crew chiefs and just the, the, the dynamics going on there, um, it just never happened. So part of that was also to, to test, go do some testing. I spent, I spent, I think I spent a winter at uh, Kentucky, you know, just, just <laughs> testing in Nashville. I'm sorry, Nashville. And big, big track Nashville. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so I spent a lot of time testing, and then we, we ran those few races, and that, that's just trying to, to evaluate. But uh, that didn't – just there wasn't, there wasn't a lot. That didn't help a whole lot, to be honest with you. Yeah. I could have helped in a lot of other ways. Yeah. All right, man. Well, one of the fun, uh, things that's been fun for me, obviously, since we started working together was getting to know you a lot more um, – and one of the parts of your life that I'd love to know more about is your youth and when you got started racing. Obviously, everybody knows that you and your brother Ward made it to the cup level, but there was a process. Yeah. Um, what was that like? What, I mean, what was your first car? Where, what, made, what, what was it about racing that said, hey, I want to go do that? Did you... Were you just going to a racetrack and said, hey, I want, I want to drive, I want to be a racer? Yeah, so I... I always loved racing like i watched racing i was the guy in who, who introduced you to that though television mm. was your father watching and racing or my father was watching racing uh and i you know watching it on television okay. watching watching races on tv and uh i remember laying in my bed with a helmet on <laughs> you know acting like i was an indy car driver right because yeah. they looked like to me they laid down when they drove and i remember laying in my bed pretending like i was an indy car driver I just, I just. Did you have the race car bed? No, just, <laughs> that would have been even better. I know, no race car bed. Um, my dad, my dad is an extremely, extremely competitive person. I mean, like ridiculously competitive person, and and uh, someone that will spend hours practicing before he goes and plays tennis. He's he's uh, eighty two years old, plays tennis all the time. Uh, in in his, uh, I think when he was eighty, he won the Virginia amateur amateur. Uh, tennis championship, you know, playing against, they don't even have an 80 age group, right? So, <laughs> so I grew up with him. I grew up with him like, like he, when he played something, he went and practiced. That's just what he did. And he didn't just go play golf. He'd go practice golf, practice, 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 and then go play. Um, so he got, he introduced us to go-kart racing. Um, so my brother Ward 
and a lot of people don't know this, I have another brother, Brian, who won more go-kart races and championships than Ward and I did combined. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So, what, what didn't Brian make it? So Brian didn't make it because he thought we were crazy as hell to aspire. To when I, yeah, so when I left high school, I went to work for Jay Hedgecock, mm-hmm. building race cars, right? My brother, Brian, thought that was insane. He's like, You're, that's crazy. Like, you, go to, you need to go to college. You know, he, his, goal, his goal in his life was to run the family construction business. That's what he wanted to do. So his deal was to go to college, do that thing, come back, immerse himself into the construction company, and that's, that was – and he saw there's no way in hell you can make a living racing race cars. Uh, my, when I went to work for Jay Hedgecock, my mother took me, rode with me, uh, drove her car, I drove my car to High Point, North Carolina, moved me into my apartment, and I can remember her saying, Jeff, you, 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 you got to come home. You got to go to school. This is not, you cannot make a living doing this. This is your mom or this is Brian? My, my mom. Okay. You cannot make a living doing this. So, so no one in my family thought there was any way that you could make a living. How big was living. your apartment? It was one bedroom. Where? Uh, uh, on, uh, in High Point, North Carolina. Wow. Man, you just moved there? I just moved. Did and you still wear your work. racing helmet to bed? <laughs> the apartment. What were you getting paid? Hey, listen, the apartments I was living in, you wanted to wear your helmet pretty often. Yeah. <laughs> what were you making a week? Oh, God. 300 That's pretty good. Yeah, 300 Ain't too bad. Cash. What were you Is doing? Oh. <laughs> but, but I think, I, cash? Uh, cash. <laughs> Ooh. Right. Okay. Were you, what was your uh, responsibilities? Uh, Welding frames I, So why, Jay Hedgecock took a flyer on me because uh, I didn't know anything. You know what I mean? I, I the only thing I knew. How did you know? So him? when my dad bought, so when my dad, um, he bought a, a late model, a late model stock, a Buick Regal had a Buick Regal body on it. Everybody else had Camaros and Firebirds. Mm-hmm. I had a Buick Regal, right? Best aerodynamics. It was. It was. It was an advantage that no one knew about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, so he bought me this Buick Regal, right? And and I had been working on this car at South Boston Speedway, going just going to the racetracks. I'd go to the I'd go to the guy's shop shop he had a carport and never took the car off the trailer like the car never came off the trailer change the oil he crawl underneath the trailer and change the oil on that, an open trailer yeah 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 never never took it off the trailer just parked it in his carport you know part of me is like this isn't right like i, I didn't know what the, anything right <laughs> yeah. but i'm like this there has to be more complicated so he bought me that car because he didn't know anything i didn't know anything but when he bought me that car he either had the wisdom or the or the uh ignorance i'm not sure which it was <laughs> To just buy me the car and say, okay, there it is. Like, no help, no, you know, here's this guy, that, yeah. right? Nothing. And started, That's that was my experience. That's what I knew about race cars, was working on that car on that trailer and then uh, putting that car in my in my parents' backyard, putting the car in the, in the uh, tractor shed and started working on it. That was my experience. So when I went to Jay Hedgecock, I knew nothing. Um, and, and... Bobby Labonte was working there. Really? That's how I got to know Bobby Labonte. Really? Jack Sprague was there for what? a short period of time. Yep. That's awesome. What yep. is this? Yeah, yeah. this yeah. is so crazy. That's how I got to know Bobby Labonte, is that he and I worked together at Jay Hedgecock. And what was he doing? Same thing? A hell of a lot more than me. Because <laughs> <laughs> he knew what he was doing. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know. And Bobby, would he, I, he would always kind of, you know, try not to be rude, but I always knew he was snickering at me a little bit because I didn't know what I was yeah. doing. So. Uh, I went there sweeping floors, cutting metal, cutting trailing arms. First batch of trailing arms Jay asked me to make. I cut them. He has a big bushing on one end, a little bushing on the other end, and a and uh, where the spring rear spring sat in the back, there was a bung you had to drill a hole in. I did them backwards, so I built 
36 trailing arms, oh, did them no. backwards. Yeah, I thought that was into my 300 cash deal. <laughs> so that's that's why I left home. I wanted to build race cars. And How long did you work there? A year. And then where'd you go? I went home. I built a, I built a uh, while I was there, I built a new car and uh, started racing that and got hooked up with. Uh, How far is Hedgecox from where? You... Two hours. Oh, okay. Yeah, two hours. So you worked there for a year. You built a brand new car. Where are you racing? South Boston, Orange County. Were you running limited or? I was running late models. Late models. Yep. Never ran limited. I ran, I ran three pure stock races. Oh, and then jumped uh, right into late models. You had a dude that was driving the car, got pissed off, and uh, went into victory lane and knocked the guy out in victory lane mm-hmm. due to race contact. So yeah. he was suspended for a few weeks, and I was racing go-karts, and we had people knew because I think my dad would go to the newspaper and take pictures of us winning races and make the newspaper print it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's how it, you so, can do it, yeah. So he was a PR man. People knew about it, so uh, this car came available, so I got asked to drive pure stock car, and I, I won my first race. I won there my first go. race. All because of a fight. In an inline uh, six-cylinder. A fight opened the door. Yeah. How'd you do with the Buick? Not well. Right. I did make Martinsville with it, though. Really? Yep. God dang, how many that's cars how, showed up that, So that's how I got a new car, is my father said, if you make Martinsville, I will buy you a new car. How many cars showed up at that Martinsville race? I want to say 100, but that's, God, pro- it, it could have been like, 80. You know what I mean? It, time, history has a way thing of, you had it that was a lot. Aerodynamic advantage. It was, it was big. <laughs> the, um, so you built the new car. This is, you built it. You, you probably spent a lot of yep. time putting it together um, with your own sweat and blood. Take you to the racetrack. How'd that work out? Good. We started running really good. Yeah. That, that's when that's when the magic went off. But we, we but I got some help. My dad realized I had to get some help. And uh, Chris Rice, I know Chris that, Rice, that, right? That runs that oh, runs college please. racing. His dad, Alan, and and Alan's brother Earl started working with me. And and the combination of having new equipment and those guys, that's what lit the late model career off. Then we started winning. All these cars have stock front clips. They were all stock front clips. Yeah. Well, portion of them was stock front clips. You could hide part of it. We had, <laughs> we had made some we had made some uh, we had made some patterns. Yeah. So that we you could you could have a fabricated the back half of the snout was fabricated, but you couldn't tell it. Ah, that's nice. I can tell that now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Not then. Were they front clip or front steer? Front steer. Yeah, yeah, yeah all front steer stuff. No, wait a second. Now at this point, you're winning. Does your mom and does Brian, does your family now realize that you might you might not be as crazy as they once no, thought? No, because you're, you're racing at South Boston Speedway in Orange County. So yeah, you're probably yeah. not making any money. So you're not making any money. You're still crazy, basically. You're still yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah. Now, but it had changed from being so at early in my life, I was lazy. Like my oh, family thought I was like, because hell, there's nothing I wanted to do. Right, oh. I was nothing ever lit me up. But once I once I could actually work on something, now I turned into a workaholic. Now I went from being lazy to being some crazy dude that works too many hours. Um, matter of fact, my grandfather had a, had a, um, had a, uh, my 18th. Yeah. would have been my 18th birthday party. My parents are out of town. He said, Hey man, I'll get you, get your buddies over here. We'll have us a, get a keg of beer and have a party if you want to. Yeah. Parents aren't here. You'll be all right. I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. But, uh, there was a race the next day and my car wasn't done. So I was down there working and my grandfather came down there and said, boy, what in the hell are you doing, man? All these girls up here, Kim was there, you know, all these girls up here, and you down here working on his car. What's wrong with you? So I completely switched from being a kid that didn't know what he wanted to do to being somebody that was just can't even give the, Can't even give the kid a beer yeah. <laughs> now. Yeah. He won't even come. Oh, we had some later. but <laughs> And Kim was there? So yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So you and Kim do go way back. Yeah, she was, she was uh, 
I was 15. She was 14 when we started dating. Wow. That's the uh, that's a sign of a potentially amazing race car drivers, the ones that skip the girl crazy phase. Wow. <laughs> like the car, the car keeps them keeps focused. Off, keeps them focused. Uh, wow. Um, what's Ward doing at all during <laughs> all this time? Well, you're running the Buick. What's Ward doing? So Ward is uh, Ward. Now listen, the timing of all this isn't right. But Ward went to college for a little while and realized that wasn't going to work. And then <laughs> Ward. Um, so Ward actually trapped for a living. So he literally trapped animals and sold hides for a living and yep. lived in places that you and I wouldn't. <laughs> off, the grid. <laughs> off the grid. Off the grid. All right. <laughs> off so the grid. that, oh, man, this is awesome because I was, I had heard that, and I don't remember where I heard it, but I heard it like once and never again, but it stuck with me, that Ward lived in the woods for mm-hmm. a year mm-hmm. or maybe a couple years. And so that's what he was doing. He really did. He lived out in the woods trapping. You so you could you could drop Ward off. You could drop Ward off in the middle of nowhere, and he's gonna come back and he's gonna have put weight on, and, yeah. and look better than he did when you dropped him off. <laughs> <laughs> like like that man can like he's just he's an outdoorsman. What I think Wearing I know a about bear skin fleece. Yeah, what, yeah well, I follow hat. him. I follow him on social media, and he's passionate about outdoors. Passionate about it. And conservation and major, really, it's it's actually pretty amazing because he's doing what he loves to do. He, 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 that's what he's always loved. Ward, Ward, I always thought Ward really liked to race, right? Because uh, he loved. He's an extremely confident person, and he and he loves driving that thing in a corner deeper than somebody else and getting back in the game. I mean, remember we sat on a pole at Darlington. Uh, the next year we go back, right, and the track had had lost some grip, and everybody's. So he sat on a pole and broke track record, right? And so the next year we go back, well, hell, I mean, it's like all of the teams are watching, going to go watch him qualify because he's going to be in the gas. And he wrecked that damn thing because he – Saw it coming. Yeah, because like, he he didn't care the track it lost. Like yeah. last year, damn it, I broke track record. I'm going to beat it, right? And that's just, <laughs> that's just how he was. And that's kind of how he is. Like, you know, in the outdoors, I mean, he just – he really, really liked racing because of that part of it, but he loves, absolutely loves the outdoors. Mm. And he would be, he would be just as happy living on, you know, some acreage somewhere in a in a one bedroom. Like he doesn't care about all the possessions. He cares nothing about that. He's completely happy working in the woods. Loves it. So when he got out of college, and and did y'all's racing ever sort of parallel? Yeah. At any point. So, so Ward's six years older than I am, and Ward... Um, I didn't know that there was that big of an age difference. Yeah, yeah. So then... I look older than I am, and he looks younger than me. <laughs> so while y'all were growing up, y'all probably didn't have a very close relationship because of that, Because right? of the He's age. doing different things. Yeah. yeah, I didn't understand. You know, I watched some of the things he was doing, and it looked like it would be fun, but I was too young to do it. Right. I'd have gotten in trouble. Yeah. And so um, we weren't as close, and then the racing actually kind of drove us further apart really yeah because How? well so um my father was well, bluntly my father was helping me more than he was helping ward and 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 that didn't help anything you know that changed later but early it was like that and uh you know my view of that was my father was helping me because i was showing how much i wanted it i was you know i was working on race cars and doing everything i could and you know ward hadn't really done that yet but then ward once ward got going 
then it changed. You know, then, okay, now Ward had something to focus on because, again, here's parents looking at their oldest son, their oldest and their youngest. One wants to figure out how to make a living living in the woods, and the other one wants to make a living working on race cars. Like, how the hell is this going to work out for either one of them? I'm pretty sure they thought they were going to be supporting us for the rest of their lives. Yeah. yeah. But, but uh, you know, it was, uh, there, was some ten- there was a lot of tension there for a while. A lot of tension. Yeah. Between you and Ward or Ward and your dad? Yes. Both. <laughs> well, tell me about tell me about Ward, like how he acquired. When did he race late models? How how long had you been running late models at this particular? So time? he so Ward started racing with uh, another team. Carl Long. Oh, right. Yeah, so they were running. They were running um, uh, Volkswagen Bugs. Both you know at Orange County. Holy cow! And that my <laughs> recollection is that was Ward's first ride and then i so of course Ward didn't is. realize they were just out there you know it was you know they were just all out there having a good time right like you know and yeah. Ward's like the hell with that i'm here to win and uh, i remember one of those guys being really mad at ward because the exhaust comes out of a volkswagen engine out the back and if you hit that thing it can bust a head open and all that and <laughs> ward was in there digging and and they weren't. They were riding around. <laughs> and I remember the guy coming down there. Man, we can't be racing like that. He's he's heads. And Ward's like, what the hell are you talking about? Like we're here to win, right? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. So that was that was Ward's first deal. And he when how did he get into late models? So um, uh, there was a guy there in South Boston that had owned late models for forever, and Ward started driving Who for was him. It? Um, you recognizable? Oh God. I, What's in car? Give Most me a those guys still probably do it. My. But somebody you know me. I'm not. I don't remember names very yeah. well. Some guy had a uh, car that had been running for a while. And That's they, correct. They stuck put, him in put there. Put Ward in there. Were you running late models? I was the running time? late models. So yep. y'all eventually competed head to head. So now we're racing against each other. Mm. We raced against each other forever. It sucked. Ah, I bet it sucked. I bet it's why I will not. Harrison's been on my ass for forever about racing in a race with him, and I won't do it. Wait, 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 wait. What? Well, yeah. I won't do Harrison it. Harrison wants to do it. Racing in a race with Harrison? Yep. Well, I almost have you convinced to run an Xfinity race. The key there was almost. Well, I, I thought we still, I thought we was sort you of You think wait. we're still negotiating? Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Sounds like somebody got buffaloed. You they, would love it. Why would you not want to do that? Because I, because, because I experienced. You done thought about well, this and t- you've made I, your mind up and you haven't had the heart to tell me. T- tell us what's going on here. I mean, you. So you, I have experienced racing against your brother my brother and we never were on the same team we were never in a situation where we could work together Mm. and uh growing up in a small town you know two guys running cup running late models at south boston in orange county running xfinity cars at south boston orange county running cup on television people constantly compare you yeah no matter what they constantly compare you. So every day, every day, everywhere you went, you know, in South Boston, the conversation was there, which was cool because people cared, but it was bad because people cared. And and when you're brothers, you're, they're always going to compare you. I don't give – they're going to. Yeah. And and it, ju- it wore on our relationship, and we mm. had to learn to get past that. Like, we had to learn to, to um, coexist – in a sport that's cutthroat, right? Like, I, like, you know, you're racing for your job, you're racing for your livelihood, and and um, you know, on those days, Ward and I finished first and second, I think, three times, and I I 
finished first all three. And I was excited in all three of those, but I was also sad in all three of those because, you know, in two of those, I passed him for the win. Mm. So, you know, I took the win. In one of them, we had a better pit stop in, in Rockingham, and I just the run was just long enough. If it goes five more laps, he beats me because he was so fast on long runs. But, you know, I took those wins away from him, and there was this – damn, I just won another cup race. That's awesome. But I took it from Ward, right? And I knew how much it was hurting him. So it's it's so hard. So how did y'all get past that? You said y'all had to learn to coexist. Yeah, how so, did you do that? Well, one of the big – he and I wrecked together at South Austin. Uh, to, even today, we will disagree on whose fault it was. Uh, the <laughs> bottom line is we were both faster than the guy that won. I had – I was started in the back for some reason, don't even know why, and had driven up through the field – he was hounding the leader. I got to him, and I got to go, and we wrecked. And we uh, we showed our asses after and got in each other's face. Oh. And, yeah, on the front straightaway at South Boston, right behind the traders, which, by the way, should have paid us because the next week I think the place sold out. out. Right, yeah, 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 they should have paid us. So that was the moment where my mother stepped in, yeah. you know, and said, look, this will not be tolerated. So that was that was a key moment. And then as adults, and we became just more mature, we just, you know, we just had a conversation. You know, listen, man, like, you know, we got to pull for each other. And, and we, just had a, we just had an adult conversation. Did that come to blows or were y'all just yapping at each other? Uh, yeah, not, not it, you know, rarely do fights actually happen in racing, right? right? Typically, are, yeah, a it's a lot of, of shoving and that yeah. kind of stuff. Rarely do fights ever did, happen. Did that embarrass you? Yeah, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you didn't like the way that looked either way. No. Most well, people I, I didn't don't. like the way it felt. Oh yeah, I didn't like the way. Um, I didn't like. Listen, I, I there's a couple things in my career I regret, and 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 uh, some of them are around that. You know, getting into an altercation with my brother at South Boston Speedway, although now it's kind of funny at the time, made me feel bad. Yeah, and, you know, the thing with Jeff Gordon at Texas. <laughs> yeah, I would say was the low light of my racing career. Really? Yeah. Like, I, that felt bad. So what happened? So, so we're racing. The mm-hmm. first thing that happened, we were racing for like 17th, right? And mm-hmm. we're both in, we're both have made the final 10, you know, or, or I don't remember what year that was, but I don't remember if it was eight or, t- I don't remember how many cars, but, but we had both made the playoffs and we're both running like crap. I think we were racing for 17th. And, and uh, I was running high and he was running low. And so off of uh, Turn 4 at Texas, we would merge every lap, right? And he would be right on my door, and I'd pull him down the straightaway. So that went on for a couple laps. Uh, we come off Turn 4, caution comes out. So we drive toward Turn 1, and he takes a big swing at me, like huge swing at me, like trying to tear the left front fender off. Well, it pissed me off. So I stood in the gas trying to hit him. But not hook him, you know, hit him in the back, get next to him, something, right? Well, at the same time, he was not supposed to be in front of me because I was leading when the caution came out. He's checking up. Well, I hooked his ass in the right rear quarter panel. And when we wrecked, I mean, it was big. It was. It, it was. was big. And, and so immediately, not 10 seconds, not three seconds, immediately – I feel absolutely horrendous because I didn't mean to wreck him, 
Um, but my, my anger got the better of me, and the situation, you know, was not good. Like, I, I, I you know, so immediately I'm, I feel horrible. Like, I don't even know how to describe how bad I felt. Remorse, regret, and all that. Yeah, and, 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 and if I'd have meant to wreck him, I wouldn't have felt bad about it because I'd have meant to wreck him, right? But here I am, and I'm thinking, this is the dumbest, this is the single dumbest thing that I've ever done in my life. And I've done some stupid crap, but that was, and I knew right then it was. You were embarrassed. I was everything. Yeah. I was embarrassed. I, so then, you know, he's super mad, and I'm super embarrassed, and he's coming, you know, he's walking down, he's... There's always something funny, right? He's walking down. I'm res- actually in the rescue squad already. I've gotten in there, and there's a nice lady in there. And I look out the window, and I see him walking down the back straightaway. You can tell when somebody's walking with a purpose, right? Oh, yeah, he was. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm going to get out of here. She's like, you can't, you can't, you can't get out. I said, yeah, I, I, I go out of that door right there. I'm going to get out. No, oh, no, 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 no. I'm like, you don't want that dude in here. Like, you know, you don't want him in there. So I go out, and I actually walk. I actually go out of my, out of the rescue squad, walk back to my car because I knew that's where he was coming, and that's where that's where we engaged each other, and um, <laughs> again a pushing match, and and um, but then then he got in my rescue squad. And I'm like, oh. that's not right. I was in there first. So oh, then he I got wa- in and left. Oh, no, that's no, no I got you. in with him. Uh, how'd that? Yeah, so he got in it. Oh, he left and got in, it, and I'm like, wait a minute, that's my ride. So I just went and opened the door and. Got in there with him. All right. All right. Which was an what happened night. next? How'd that go? So I so listen, I I I, I was just blatantly honest. I said, he was pissed, right? He's like, you know, I lost a lot of respect for you, uh, which he said on TV, right? I lost a lot of respect for you and and it didn't matter at that moment what I told him, right? Because sure. you're you know, you're, yeah, you're, you're not changing. Yeah, 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 yeah. So but I kept telling him, look, man, I didn't mean, you know, I didn't mean to do it. And I literally had my hand my head in my hands. I'm like this, you know, because because I you know, it, it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous what happened, and it truly it that incident took some energy out of me for yeah. a while because it was uh, it just was dumb. It was dumb, and and I'm not that guy. You know, I'm just I'm that's just not me. Yeah. Um. So that one, I don't like the I don't like the conflict. Now I don't mind if I need to. I don't mind getting in someone's face, but I don't like the conflict that may ensue after, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Well, so you guys ride, and basically it's him barking, and, 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 and you just, I mean, like, there's nothing you're going to say to him, but that's basically what the ride yeah. was. Yeah. It's only been and, a minute long. Yeah, so, so then we, get, we, go to the, we go to the Enfield Care Center, and uh, <laughs> so yeah, Mike Dillon comes in there, and Mike Dillon is, uh, I consider Mike to be a, a dear friend and a, and a great person, and he's ready to roll. Oh, he's wanting to fight. <laughs> he's wanting to fight. Yeah, Jeff. yeah. He's ready to go. And I'm like, calm, dude, now you're having to calm him down. <laughs> just calm, just calm down. Oh just please calm down. <laughs> but, yeah, he was ready to roll, which is cool because he's coming to help his guy oh, yeah. out. You know, that was cool. Well, he had just watched you get, you know, pushed, that, and you know, that, that was they the got only physical on the back stretch. I mean, yeah, I guess that that would have been an, at least maybe he's going to come and. Just I'll, check on things. Let's I, call it RC, that. RCR is a whole heaven they'll identity you, of ready to take care of business, <laughs> right? I'm telling you, they'll <laughs> scrap over there. <laughs> it starts at the top. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I think it does, doesn't it? <laughs> which is, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know, Richard Childress is. The, he's just, you know, that's one of the highlights of my career is having the chance to work with him because of that, right? 
is that you know he's he just he his persona is RCR. Yeah. You know, and you want to see him run better than they're running because that's it's his heart, his soul, his blood. It's everything, man. And and that company takes on his personality, which is how it should be. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, let's take a quick break from Jeff Burton to tell you about a new partner, Dale. Yeah, you know, we love partners like this. Uh, there are many reasons, including the fact that it's a company started by two veterans. That's awesome. It's Kettlebell Kitchen. They offer a personalized solution to meal planning. Mm. All right. So basically, you can put in an order, you get a week's worth of food, and it comes to the house, and you all you got to do is heat it up. It's got the macros on it so you can tell how much protein, carbohydrates, and so forth oh. that you're getting. Okay. If you're into that sort of thing, counting your calories and whatnot. Which um, at certain points in my life, I've sort of come in and out of that you're, sort you're, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But it's I, I know through my own experience of kind of counting calories and trying to either lose weight or maintain weight, I know about how much I need to eat every day. And so, looking at these meals, I can I know one you know breakfast, lunch, dinner. I could pretty much add up how many calories I ate at the end of the day rather easily, um, especially if it's printed right there on the package like it is with Kettlebell Kitchen. They um, sent a bunch of different items for me to choose. Uh, one of my favorites was the sliders, beef sliders. Mm. Just, it's it's all right there. Got the sauce in it. It's easy to heat up. Uh, the instructions right there on the box. Great flavor. Oh, it's good. Oh, I mean, it's just incredible. It's just fine. It's perfect flavor, and it's it's great if you're in a hurry too. Cause right, sure. it's a really good meal, and it's right there, ready to go as soon as you want to heat it up, right out of your refrigerator. There's so many diets and meal plans out there. But chances are, um, they don't take your specific needs into into account, Mike. So, Kettlebell Kitchen, they're changing people's lives yeah, through food. I'd imagine so. All right, you get the nutrition you need without any of the hassle. Um, Amy uh, is sort of on another different plan that she's been on for a while, where she has to measure every ingredient. It's such a pain in the butt. I just pull this thing out of the refrigerator, write down, you know, the macros, throw it in the microwave, boom, ready to rock. Done. Sign up for a plan or order a la carte. No long-term contracts required, all right? Deliver to your door twice a week for optimal freshness. That's cool. The delivery thing, to me, is the most convenient part about it, right? You put in the order. It shows up. It's coming often, so it's fresh. Uh, You don't need to worry about sourcing ingredients or fretting over macros. Just heat, serve, get the food you need for real sustainable change. These meal plans are tailored to your goals, whether you're slimming down, bulking up, or just trying to keep it straight, kind of trying to maintain. If you're looking for fuel for your day, there's a plan for you. All their meals are free of dairy, free of soy, and artificial sweeteners, and made from ingredients naturally free of gluten. And hey, vegetarian, keto, Whole30, and paleo options are available. All right? So there's something for everybody. You can even filter by your choice of calorie, mm. protein, fat, carb limits, so you actually get the right food for your unique needs. Feed the champion in you with Kettlebell Kitchen. Go to kettlebellkitchen.com and enter the code Dale Jr. for $25 off each of your first two orders for new customers. That's $25 each of your first two orders at Kettlebell Kitchen. Code Dale Jr. So uh, going back to... Uh, and uh, wrap up the late model side of the conversation. So you, I'm assuming, from what I know, you got into the Xfinity series with your own car. Yep. 
y'all built a car and yep. raced it. So you didn't get a call from somebody going, hey, man, you're running good in them late models. I want you to drive my <laughs> Xfinity car. You nope. went into Xfinity yourself. We did. And and what, what how, how many races did you run? What was your ambition there, intentions, and how long did that work out? So we ran, uh, we ran South Boston, Orange County, and Martinsville. And in the first year, that was, you know, that was when uh, the Xfinity series would still run those racetracks, yeah. which was awesome, man. Yeah. We got to find a way. To, I don't know how. Go, got to find a way. Got to go back. Got to find a way yeah. because you know people like Robert Presley, me, uh, Steve Grissom. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Elton Sawyer, uh, where these guys that you look up to so much come to your local to your track. They're coming to my track, right? And so you build a you build a car, and at that point, you know there was no engineering, there was none of that. You could compete with them. Mm. I mean, you could have a shot and 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 run with them, and have a real opportunity to be. Now, don't get me wrong; it was really hard, and and rarely did the hometown guy make it happen. But there were occasions, mm-hmm. and and uh, so so I built a, a Hedgecock chassis, and and we built our own car. Didn't know much about it and uh one of the one of the highlights of my career was was uh mike alexander we were we they used to be you you would they would open the track and you could practice for three or four hours on friday afternoon and you know tracks go open saturday for the race mike alexander's there and we're there and he comes down there he's looking at my car now this is a this is a three-link coilover car your car in xfinity which is you know not many people did. Everybody had big spring trailing arm cars that they have today. Yeah. And and uh, Mike Alexander comes down there. He's looking at it, looking at it, looking at it. And he said, that's the nicest car I've ever wow. seen. And I right then, I'm like, hell, I've made it. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's enough for me. You know, and it was, it was, uh, that was things like that. It exposed you to, it exposed you to sure. those people. You yeah. know, I sit down and have a conversation with Jack Ingram. Right. I, I mean, to, to this day, I see Tommy Houston at the racetrack every now and then, and I know him because of racing against him at South Boston and Orange County. I mean, that's we just we don't get that today. Well, those guys, and so those guys were very receptive to you. I mean, because you didn't. So they're know racing them. for food. To oh. be clear, okay. I yeah. mean, you know, I guess so. You're right. Yeah, you yeah. went you went in there because it was cool, and you were going to race at your home track and all that. They're racing to put food on the table. That's their life, and and uh, that's how they raced. Period end of story, hmm. and 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 but that was a great education. Like, you know, you thought I thought late models was intense, and now you go and you ra- you're racing those guys, and they're racing. They're literally racing for their living. You know, they're none of them are getting rich. Most of them own their own cars at that time, and they were they were racing to eat, and and you were you were the person trying to take food from their table, and that's how they raced you. Hmm. Boy, I bet the races were incredible too. It was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Was there any uh, point in your Cup career or your Xfinity career where you um, where you had some struggles or regrets or felt like that maybe things weren't going to work out? A lot. Because it seems like you just had this linear sort of pl- progression. Yeah, that's... and I can't imagine that it was ever that easy. No. So so uh, when I went, I my, after one year of uh, working with the Rices in South Boston with our own car, um, that wasn't going to work because we just didn't know what we were doing. So those guys had worked with me for four years. I had to say bye to them and went to work for Sam Ard. Uh, Wait, what? Oh, yeah. You went to work for Sam Ard? I, I drove for Sam Ard for a year. In his late model? In his, in his uh, bush car. 
So I ran a year of Xfinity. I ran a year of Xfinity. With your car. With my car. And then you drove Sam Ard's car. And then Sam and I merged our teams. What number? 12. Sam Ard. That Look was, at this. This is so funny. You, uh, Rain Man let one go by. Yes. He, 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 well, got I mean, him on this he, one. He does, Sam yeah. disguised himself. Got him on this one. <laughs> Sam, <laughs> Sam disguised himself in the number 12. You stumped him. <laughs> he, he can't place it. Right, yes. So what was working with Sam Ard like? I mean, this guy. Hard. It's a legend. He was a legend, um, but he was hurt. You know what I mean? Yeah. That that wreck in Rockingham was, was I mean, hell at all, but killed him. And and uh, so it was me and Stacy Perrier that runs late models. Yeah, Perrier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was calling Perrier. He and I he and I moved there and worked with Sam. Yeah. And uh, I, so he still races, Stacy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Damn. We lived in an apartment together. And um and uh, at the end of that year, that got kind of ugly because Sam had financially had not worked out very well for him, and and um, we ended up going to we ended up going to court over that. Oh. Then yeah, and then uh, I went to work for um, uh, Bill Patkey, and and uh, they fired Tommy Ellis and hired me. This is the '99 car, correct? Google clusters, one but- of the. What was the sponsor when you got there? It was Armor and Food Line. Oh. And so that was one of the worst moves ever by a car owner was to get rid of Tommy Ellis and hire me. <laughs> um, so that ended poorly. Yeah. Uh, the, last, the last race of the year, they informed me I wasn't going to be coming back. So that didn't go very well. Damn. And then um, I went to work for um, – I mean, I'm, I'm at home – trying to figure out what I'm going to do. We had one car left, and I was trying to get it ready. We were going to run a few Xfinity races. And, um, and I got a call from, from Phil Martasi with the eight car uh, to come drive that. They had, David Green was driving it. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, like late in the year, they decided they were going to make a change there. I mean, when I say late in the year, I'm talking like January. Dang. Early in the year, I guess it would be. So I ended up driving that just for Daytona. And that ended up being a two-year deal. But that ended ugly. Wow. Uh, Here, here's the setbacks you were asking about. Yeah, it right. sounded yeah. like the, these things didn't end That well. ended ugly. So, so um, What was it about the, the, the series or the environment where things were so difficult? Because like, you're telling me like, not only are you having hard times, like, these deals are, you know, start out great, and by the end of the year they're, they're, they're difficult. The same thing is now? Well, I know, but you're, you're telling me like, Tommy Ellis, David Green. I mean, David Green's one of the most likable guys. Yep. Easy to work with. Yep. Um, so every, but you're telling me that everybody was having hard times, sort of getting along, or making something work. What was it? What was going on? I think it was. Well, a lot of it hinged around money. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it hinged around sponsorship, and you know, if if um, you know if somebody could bring a sponsor, that always got someone's attention. You know, people act like that's just today. Yeah. No, that's been going on forever. Um, I don't know. I mean, it was just, it was those four years. So there was about four years, four or five years where I either got fired, went to court. Uh, like, it was nuts. It was, and that in, that entire time uh, was like, damn, man, you know, is this worth it? You know, like, I just didn't know if it was. Were I, you just, were you not getting paid? Is that why you No, go I was co- getting paid. Why would you go to court? Because um, at the end of the year, uh, Sam had lost some money, and um, he took an injunction out to have keep all my equipment until a case was settled because he thought that we owed him some money. And 
it was, and it went on for about a year. It went on for a year. The '99 car that you went and drove for, where they let go of Tommy Ellis, that was eventually the that uh, Lux Air car that Glenn Allen Jr. raced. I don't know. Same Ricky team? Craven drove it after I That's did. That's right. Ricky Craven, yeah. So 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 I drove it, then Ricky drove it, and I think they got out after yeah. that. So it was a different yeah. 99. Too. Yeah. So I was going to say, I drove the 99 car at St. Louis. So that would have been a connect- You did? Yeah, that would have been a connection that we would have had. Pretty cool. Oh, wow. Good, no, but, no. How'd that end? Did it end in court? Nope. <laughs> so it, it, that, was an ugly, that was an ugly four or five years. Yeah. Yeah, it, it was really boy, ugly. I, yeah, he asked about any setbacks. So, what what so, good things so did I, you have so happen? Listen, so check this out. So check this out. <laughs> so won some races. So when, when uh, so Phil Martasi came down and met with me and said, hey, you know, this is isn't going well. We need to go different ways. And and uh, I'm not kidding you. That day, that that very after that same afternoon, I got a phone call from Billy Sto- Billy Stavola. Really? Actually, from Ken Wilson, who worked for Billy Stavola. That same damn day, that same day, that afternoon, race. I got a call. I had no. Like I wasn't even thinking cup racing on that same day. You asked me what went well. I that got a went. phone call, and so the next day I'm on a damn Challenger or some kind of big airplane flying to New Jersey to meet with the Stavolas. Mm. So in 24 hours, <laughs> so that was the thing that went well. Was that yeah. just a coincidence, or had they yeah, caught it's complete what? coincidence? They, they didn't complete, know that it had just gone south. Complete total coincidence. Yeah. Did they ask you how are we going to get you out of your current deal? And you were like, "Well, it's not going to yeah, be near the problem right. you thought." <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, those uh, were those were some interesting years. And working for Sam, man, was really hard. Like that was a that was that was the hardest year of my life uh, because it was just so much work. I mean, yeah. God Almighty. Well, we worked so hard working on the car. Are you saying it was hard though? Also working with the people. Is it working with working on the car? Um, uh, Sam and I saw the world completely different. Is so that the right? first day I got there, we unlo- I had a, a aluminum box right full of scales that I had built, and we're unloading everything because we're merging teams, right? So we're we're unloading all of our stuff, and this is an aluminum box. You know what a scale box looks like? They all look the same, but I had made this one. I was proud of it. We unloaded it, and Sam looks at me. He says, what's that? And I said, that's a set of scales. What are we going to do with that? <laughs> and I said, well, we're going. if you got a set already, I, I can take them home, or we can t- put one in the truck or whatever, you know, if you got a set. Well, I, I don't have no scales. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't have the scales? He said, we're going to take the – he said, man, all you do is take the car down at the beginning of the year. We'll take it over there to the grain scales, and we'll get the left side weight right and get the total weight right. We don't ever need a set of scales again. The grain scales. And I'm like <laughs> – Say what? Yeah, and I mean he didn't use set, he didn't use scales to set a race car up, and he oh. checked his wedge with a with an inch and three quarter three socket. eight drive socket. That's how he checked his wedge. Jack it up, yeah. jack it up, and slide it halfway under the tire, and that's what you got. And I'm like, man, <laughs> that was day one. I'm like, this is gonna be a long year, <laughs> and it was. It was a really long year. So you went. Uh, you got the opportunity to go to a race for the Stavola brothers. Um, 1994. Yep. How are you feeling about being in the Cup Series and the security in that team? And I mean, things seem to be a little smoother. Yeah. Well, I knew it was a, I knew it was a, um, you know, an underfunded team. I knew it wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to drive for for Rick or Jack or 
but it was a hell of an opportunity and I was excited and, and, um, it was, you know, I never once thought, well, we can't win because mm. we don't have, you know what I mean? It was just full of optimism and go, you know, and it took me, but I, but it did in the first race at Rockingham, I'm like, my God, will this race ever end? I've never, that race is crazy long. <laughs> um, and See. I didn't know, I'm like, I can't, damn man, this is all these races this long, you know, yeah. I'm going to have to get used to this. Uh, but about <laughs> but about halfway through that year, about halfway through that year, even though we we weren't rookie of the year that year and we had some good runs, should have won Atlanta, the first Atlanta race of the year. We had Hoosier tires, and it's late. It's late in the race, and I'm coming off turn four, and then the infield was completely different. I was coming off turn four, and I could see Ernie Irvin running second coming off turn two. Yeah, the infield was low Whoa. in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I'm talking we got maybe 30 laps left or something. I'm leading the race by that much. Wow. By that much. And I'm, and the caution comes out, and we have a bad pit stop. Oh, and man. You had him covered but, until then. But uh, it steadily went downhill from there, I think. <laughs> that, you did that year? Well, we had, we had, that, was the Hoos- that was the tire battle years. Yeah. yeah. And, and when the Hoosiers were better, they weren't a little better. They were a lot better. Mm. And you could, just, you could flat kick their ass, even if your stuff wasn't as good or you weren't as good. You could just kill them, and mm. and uh, yeah, that was that made some interesting races. Yeah, so you ran in the eight car Stavola Brothers car for two years and got hired by Jack Roush. Um, how did that happen? Because I'm looking at your statistics, you had uh, three top tens in the yeah. eight car in two years. So, but you did, like you say, you had those races where you almost won this race yeah. or overachieved in this event. So, I mean, you were obviously catching everybody's attention in just those two years. So quickly. So the truth is, this is a pretty funny story. So the truth is, Ward had a deal with Bill Davis. And um, Jack, or Jeff Smith, Jack, the president yep. then yep. of Roush Racing, yep. called Ward wanting to know if he would drive. And Ward and I are at dinner or doing something, and Ward says, damn, I got a call today from some guy. Jeff, somebody at Roush, wanted to know if if I wanted to drive for them next year. They're going to start a new team. And, uh, you know, I already got my deal done, and I'm like, hell, give me his number. (laughs) Oh. So, yeah, all right, here. So I called Jeff Smith the next day. I said, hey, I understand. So next thing you know, I'm going to Livonia, Michigan. Bang. Yep, to meet with Jack. Wow. And went up there, and and, um, so I'm still under contract with Stavola's. So I, I, uh, Jack's like, yeah, man. And I'm like, Hey, you know, I got, <laughs> I got this little thing I got to work out. So I called, uh, I called Billy Stavola and I said, Billy, I've got this opportunity. And, um, you know, man, I, I, I really need to do this. Like, this is an incredible opportunity for me. And he says, well, Jeff, you know, we really, we put a lot into you and we want you to stay and we feel like we have a future. And, and, um, I said, you know, Billy, I, I, man, this is it. Like, this is my shot. Well, buddy, you know what? If if that's what you want to do, then that's what you need to go do. And he let me out of my contract. That's mm. pretty good. Yeah. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. At the time, Roush was just Mark? Uh, Mark and Ted. Ted Musgrave. Ted Musgrave. And Liberty. That's right. That's and, right. And Liberty. And so Jack wanted to start a third team, and, and uh, he wanted to start, start a third team because he wanted to piss off the people in Liberty. Oh. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So – 
I mean, I'm exaggerating that a touch. Yeah. But when he hired me and Buddy Parrott, this is what he told us. He said, look, um, I got my teams in Liberty, but you, they're, they're, act like they're not there. Like, you're not getting cars from them. You're not – like, you do, y'all do it the way you want to do it. He said, there's a lot of ways I think they could do it better, and they won't do it. So you, y'all just do it the way you want to. <laughs> where, where, where was your shop? In, in Mooresville. So he was trying to create competition between his two – he or was trying to his create, con- yeah, and upfront about it. Yeah, like uh, I flew with Steve Mill and and Howard Comstock at that point was a crew chief. Mark was flying the airplane. We we're going to Roush Industries for the Christmas party, and Steve Mill looks at me in the airplane and says, "Look, man, you know, take this however you want to, but we ain't helping you. You know, <laughs> we, you know, it ain't about you. Like, but but Jack's doing this just to piss us off, and he thinks we don't know what we're doing, and we're going to show him. And and you know, I'm you know, don't ask for help." You know, you, you Jack thinks y'all can do it, then you you go do it, which was cool. Like, right? Yeah. I mean, I was I was good with that. So when we started when we started the '99 car, it was we were Roush, but we were we were Roush North. we were Roush South South. South yeah we were Roush South yeah and and we didn't get cars from them we didn't get setups from them we didn't get shocks from them we got nothing absolutely nothing and that's how we started the '99 and was- and uh, that was. That was kind of crazy. The first crack in the armor was I missed, I missed the. Uh, so we're th- we're second in points, okay? We're second in points. Go to Daytona, run fourth. Go to Richmond, lead the whole damn race. Have a bad pit stop because we were a new team. We didn't have a good pit crew. Uh, then the th- then so we go to Atlanta, and we're second in points, and we miss a race. Oh. And the first crack in the armor was you know then you could qualify on the second day too, right? The first crack in the armor was that that uh, Mark Martin came down, and he's like, "Look, how can I help you?" Mm. And he's talking to me about, you know, because we're slow, you know what I mean. And clearly, I'm driving it something, doing something wrong. And and he comes down and says, "Man, you know, you need to think about these things when you're driving it." And that was a first reach out. Oh, an olive branch. Yep. Yeah. It, and so up until then, you and Mark had even uh, no relationship. A little so bit, of, a little bit of relationship, amicable, uh, uh, at yeah. times uh, when it was necessary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Mark, Mark had uh, Mark and I um, raced against each other in the Xfinity series, and we knew each other. And Mark was one of those guys that I could go talk to, you know. Okay. And, hey, man, like, what you got in your, what you got in the right front of that thing? You know right. what I mean? Like he and he would tell me. Um, but what happened was the '99 started running well, and we were we were doing things completely different than they were doing them. Or the same, we just didn't know. Like, we, you know, <laughs> hell, we didn't know. And so we started running well. So Mark's like, well, damn, man. Like, I, go, I earned some respect, you know, because he saw what I was doing and, and, you know, and liked the way I was doing it. And so he started wanting to work together. What was and it like working with Buddy Parrott? It was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, best years He's of my life from a competitive standpoint. How, how so? Because he was a, um, you had Frank. Frankie was you had a good. We did, buddy. But buddy was um, when you went racing with buddy, you were gonna have fun, and you were gonna have fun, and it was you versus the world, and and uh, buddy let me do the f- first conflict we got into. He wanted to move to Trader Arms, and I didn't want to at Bristol, and I left and came back. And when I came back, the Trader Arms were being moved, and buddy and I on pit road, we had it out, you know, and and. Um, we had it out, mm. and so that was our. But that was good for us, right? That was, and so I'm like, all right, man. If you 100 percent believe, if you're willing to fight me over this, that's how we're gonna do it. I don't think it's right, but that's what we're gonna do. 
but he would he would rally the troops. He didn't he knew what he didn't know, right? He didn't pretend to be something he wasn't. He you know, he was the guy that hired the people and demanded they do their job and made them have fun and and just he man, he was just he just he's just a hell of a good person. Yeah. And he was just so much fun. Pretty jealous of you have an opportunity to work with he, him. He, it was phenomenal. Yeah. It was phenomenal. Just because, and it's not about him knowing what right rear shock to put on the car. It's about him knowing what kind of person you need to have to put the right rear shock on the car. <laughs> yeah. You know that what I'm saying? Make, makes a good crew chief. That's the way like, Steve was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, yeah. He, hey, look, that, they are the personalities, all of that. That's, they're so alike. Mm-hmm. They are so alike. Your Steve Latart experience was my buddy Parrot experience. 100%. Copy that. Do you know Buddy well, or are, you're well. jealous of him uh, because I you... know his boys a little better, right? Like Todd, yeah. Todd. And, and Brad. Um, but I'd been an admirer of Buddy Parrott, you know, just because he was a figure in the history of the sport, mm-hmm. one of the more re- uh, respected crew chiefs, and I just always wondered. His, when we saw his name on the, that car this week, you know the 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 yeah. seventy one card, Harry Hyde, uh, oh, that's Robert right. G, like yeah. it's like the name of the court on those quarter panels. Like damn, yeah, <laughs> that, they were all on one car. Stout names <laughs> right there. Yeah, that was good. All right, so uh, mentioned Harrison earlier in the conversation. Um, Harrison is in the Xfinity Series now, working with Joe Gibbs Racing, and uh, you've been a part of helping him sort of progress through the uh, his early career. Uh, in motorsports, how do you parent? How do you know when to get out of your own way, and uh, how do you know when to step in? What's uh, what's that experience been like for you? Because you're, you're right in the middle of it. Yeah. So so um, you know, as a parent, you want to protect your children from things, right? And especially when they're really young. And the older they get, the I think the more you realize, or I've realized that I learned an awful lot by screwing up. You know, and, and, um, I also had parents who let me screw up. You know, I have a dad that bought me a late model and didn't, and knew nothing. You know, he he was, someone said I was a spoiled kid because he bought me the late model, but in his way, he was teaching me, right? So, um, I, my parenting has been with him and my daughter really both is to give them some guidance, right? But ultimately, uh, you teach them, and you, you, but they have to be their own people. So with Harrison at this point, I do, I try really hard to talk about a lot of things other than racing. Hmm. Um, you know, I want to be his dad. I want to be, I want to be his dad, and I don't want to be the guy saying, "Man, you know, you coulda, you shoulda, you w- yeah. you know." I don't want to be that guy. Now, there's times that I do, you know, but I'm, I try to be more. I try to look out for his best interest from a business standpoint, you know, because I've been there, done that. Uh, he has zero, you know, when you're 19, he just turned 19. When you're 19 years old, just graduated from high school, there's no way in the world you can know the things you need to know, right, and, and in regard to business and, and uh, having conversations with team owners and general managers and all of those things that you have to do. And he's doing it at 19. Yeah. Like I did it at 30 right and and um so i I work really hard for him on that and work really hard with him uh with his partners uh to make sure they're getting out of the the relationship what they need but you know with harrison i try to be his dad i really really try hard to be his dad how do you about how do you balance being 
like not being too much of his buddy. You know what I mean? That's not hard. Yeah. Like like I I um that's just not hard for me because I I know I know that I'm the dad. And I know that the older they get, the more what's the word? The more equal we become. Does that make sense? Yeah. So when they're when they're six, you have ninety five percent authority, right? <laughs> when they're sixty and you're eighty five, you have none. Right. <laughs> so slowly lose it. Yes, you slowly lose it, and you have to relinquish it, or they'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> one way or another. So there's net. There's they're nothing, gonna get it. There's nothing in your heart or mind going. I just you know that there's not a part of you that wants so bad for them to like you. As a, I want them to respect me. Yeah. Right. I want my kids and you and you to respect me. I would rather I would rather leave a conversation with you saying, you know, I just completely disagree with him, but then you say, Man, that guy he's cool and and, and he's an idiot, right? I want their I want people's respect. So mm-hmm. I would rather and sometimes that means having the difficult conversation. Sometimes that means being the guy in the room that has to say things that no one else would say. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that means knowing when to shut up, right? I want their respect more than I want their friendship. Well, I think you got you got the respect. One of the reasons why uh, is because of something that you've spearheaded just recently. Um, you might have heard it over the week over the weekend uh, up in the up in the booth during the race when Jeff goes to talk to uh, the drivers while they're in the car. He says, "Hey, it's the booth boys." <laughs> All right. right, and that's something new that um, that Jeff spearheaded, and it was uh, it was to uh, support the folks in the Bahamas after the hurricane that recently went through there. And you've teamed up with Rubicon Team Rubicon yeah. uh, to put something very special together. We've teamed you, up. Well, we've teamed up. I want I want to say that you have been the creator of this vision. Yeah. How did it start? So I'm tell curious. Us, tell us why. Well, it started. <laughs> It's kind of weird. I kind of start with your dad. It's going to sound a little crazy. So, so I've always loved boats, and your dad loved boats, and um, we would talk about that. And so he introduced me to the Bahamas and all of the things down in the Bahamas. And um, to the point, I so Kim and I were we chartered this little boat and we were going down there. So your dad came into my motorhome. I told him what I was doing, and the next week your dad comes into my motorhome with the, my itinerary. Like <laughs> he had written down my <laughs> every my time. week. Right? He is. <laughs> I mean, he had, he had, he. So he comes to my, you know, open the door and there's there's Dale standing there. I'm like, what the hell? This is not might not be good or it might be great. I don't know which. <laughs> and so he comes in and literally. He has a, a notepad, and he lays in the floor of my motorhome, like on his side, and he has planned my week. Like, I'm talking about you go to this marina, you see this guy, you eat here on t- Monday, you do this on Tuesday, Wednesday night, this is where, he, like, the whole thing. And right? to clarify, Plan- you didn't ask for any of this advice? or No, not like that. Okay, I, right. did, I did say, hey, man, what's a cool place to go? Okay, right? yeah, something yes, like that. But not, what, okay. yeah, not what to have at lunch at, at the— <laughs> Yeah, what to order, where <laughs> yeah, to sit. At right. Pink Sands Resort at 12 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. And the waitress that you need to get, not to that extent. So Kim and I went on that trip, and I just I completely head over heels, fell in love with the Bahamas and the people— 
in the lifestyle and and um and then through that um Kilm and I ended up against Kilm's wishes and your dad talked my wife into letting me buy a boat you know your dad said to Kilm you know he grabbed her on pit road and he knew we were having this kind of internal battle <laughs> he grabbed my wife he said you know Kilm you know you only hear once like you know what I mean like go do it go do it your kids are young you can do it now like go do it just go and so she relented and uh and we bought this boat and through that we spent with our kids we spent this incredible amount of time in the Bahamas and and uh, have just come to appreciate the the natural beauty the people uh all of that and so when that when that storm came through you know you're watching on the news and I'm like man I know those places and I know people that live there and and I know the infrastructure is not what we are accustomed to in any form or fashion, which is part of the greatness of it, right? But in these times where you have this major natural disaster, uh, I'm sitting there thinking, man, they are, there's no way that they are going to be able to handle this without a lot of help. Mm. And, and uh, so through that, um, I went to, went to all the guys in the booth and said, hey, man, would y'all rally around and cr- let's create something? And we all kind of got our heads together and talked about it and, you came up with with the Booth Boys concept, and oh, you did. Mm. Mm. <laughs> oh, he, for better or worse, uh, okay. Uh, boys with a Z, which and, we need to trademark that real quick. Okay, we'll do it. So, so I, so you know, we released that video, and we we teamed up with Team Rubicon. A lot of that was because of the Junior Foundation and what they've done with Team Rubicon. Uh, then Rick and I went down uh, last week. And worked harder than I've ever worked in my life. I imagine. So. Oh my God! And the destruction was worse than I thought. Oh, was it? Yeah, it was worse. So I, so, so Bobby Labonte and Jimmy Makar and I, a few, I'm guessing two weeks. I actually talked to Bobby about this last night. He was thinking ten days. We went to 9/11, went to Ground Zero, mm. and we went up there to um, inconspicuously. No one knew we were going. Uh, Jimmy Makar had a relationship with the the fire department in 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 New York, uh, and we're going to fire stations and police stations and visiting because they've been, you know, their people have been killed and they've lost so many of them. We're just going up there to say hi and tell them we're thinking of them, and no media, no nothing. We don't want anybody to know we're doing it. We're in this fire station, and um, Osama bin Laden's picture is on the TV, and they're talking about him on the news, and there's a guy in there cooking lunch, and he starts screaming and cussing at the TV, and he's, I mean, irate. And he looks at Bobby and Jimmy and I and demands that we go to nine to, to ground zero. I mean, demands that we go because, you know, in his world, the world doesn't understand the magnitude of the destruction, right? And he wants us to see it, and he wants us to relay it. So to do that, we had to get permission. Like, we go, we go in there. They ended up getting us permission, and I don't want to go. I mean, I'm just telling you, I didn't want to go because I knew what was there. And, and uh, well, I thought I knew what was there. So we end up going, and I'm nervous as hell about going. And we go through, never in my life had I experienced something that felt like wartime. We go through uh, fully automatic weapon secured areas. I mean, it's... And we literally walk where, where George Bush, you know, one day, you know, these people that did this will hear from us. We were right there. Stood with the bullhorn. It, yes. You were talking about that speech, yeah. And uh, stood there and cried. 
Mm-hmm. And, and um, so that moment was something that always stuck into my, has been ingrained in me. That moment was a moment that in my life was one of the biggest moments because of the, the people that were killed and the people that were innocent victims and the destruction and what it meant to our world that this force had done this. And uh, I'm standing there on the, on the site with Bobby and Jimmy and I'm crying. And, and, and um, so I leave there and this, and this thing is ingrained in me about the destruction that could be caused. And then Rick and I go and I get those same feelings about now, this is for a natural disaster versus a terrorist attack. Completely different. But the death, the destruction, the all those are the same, even though this is a natural disaster. And 9-11 was just utter and complete, you know, in this, you know, how many square block area. This was miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles and miles. And, miles. and it's horrible. Like, it's horrible um, with those people down there are going through and and having to that 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 those islands they 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 have to have tourism who right. the hell is going to go there until that, it gets rebuilt that's their economy that's, yeah so that's how everything does it, so has all this happened so, so so because you, you can't have one without the other yeah. so that team rubicon um the, the three days that rick and i spent with team rubicon was just an incredible experience because of um a group of people, all volunteers, right, two weeks. So they're deployed for two weeks, all right, living in a place Ward would exist very well, but most <laughs> yeah. people wouldn't. Right. Sleeping on a cot. No one's bitching. Mm-hmm. No one's complaining. I mean, they volunteered to do two weeks of work that you wouldn't do to get paid to do. Right. You know, and, and God, man, it was a hell of an experience, and – uh and the work that are doing down there is just think about this, man. You 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 got to get a you got to get a clinic open so people can get health care. You got to get the roads cleared. I mean, they're there getting roads cleared so people can access stuff. Um, working with working with people so they can eat. Like, how do they get to places that are feeding them? There's one uh, World Food Organization that's feeding the whole island. I mean, it's crazy. Five hundred gallons a day. For the whole island of fuel, mm. for I mean, it's nuts, and so uh, I hate I went, and I'm glad I went. Does that make yeah. sense? Did, you know? and, and you guys went directly. You were were you embedded with Team we Rubicon? Were in, we were embedded with Team Rubicon. So, and Team Rubicon, just to to confirm, and everybody, I, I, you know, I don't know who knows about Team Rubicon, um, but they're retired military service. Most most of them most are, of them are. There's there's uh, there's also uh, police officers. Okay. Uh, yeah. Nine one one responders. There's an array. There's and a lot of people are working. Most of them are working that take two weeks off. Think about this. They take two weeks off and oh. go down. To do these volunteer, I mean, human uh, humanitarian yeah. relief efforts. Wow, crazy! Team Rubicon. I've had an experience with them in Florida uh, with a hurricane that came through there over the last couple of years, and um, they're uh, one of the things that I was uh, most impressed with is they're there long after they're there now. Like the the you know they're there long after the the news coverage is over. And months and months later, while those areas that are affected are still in need, they're there. They're still there. And, uh, you know, you want to know who's responsible for helping some uh, a country like that get back on their feet. It's, it's people like Team Rubicon. Um, and so, man, I, I thought it was a, 
I, you know, I knew that you were passionate about the Bahamas, and I thought that it was just such a great idea to to get involved. But I didn't know that your vision would be this impactful, and that we would uh, all get to share in uh, being a part of it. So um, I'm glad that you're doing what you're doing. Uh, on your own, but I'm also glad that you were able to include us and your friends to be a part of it. Um, and I've always I've enjoyed my relationship with Team Rubicon, and um, this is just teaching me more and uh, keeping us involved and in spreading their message and and uh, getting folks to help support Team Rubicon. So, man, we appreciate that. We're gonna. Uh, Talk more about Team Rubicon here in a bit. In a little bit, yeah. Yeah. So uh, we well, got we some... couldn't be here without the Junior Foundation and the support that the Junior Foundation has provided. Like at the the you know the the infrastructure, the effort, the, all the things that 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 foundation has provided for just this cause, much less all the other things that that it, you guys are working on, has a real impact on people's lives. Yeah. And that's you know that's I think one of the greatest compliments somebody can say is man you're impacting people's lives positively yeah and that's that's uh, the Junior Foundation is incredible in that in the work that it does yeah I just can't imagine for you personally your uh, love for the Bahamas and how much you've enjoyed it over the years is going to change you know tenfold um, once once they are back on their feet once you are able to go back down there and yeah. visit. Uh, and and enjoy uh, the folks and the, the the food and everything they have to offer. Your experience and connection to them will be completely different than it's ever been. So I'm excited uh, for them and for you. But um, me and Amy just went over this year to visit, and uh, you know, Dad's love for the Bahamas and how much he enjoyed being down there means a lot to me as well. So um, pretty awesome, man. I appreciate you coming out today. Thank you. This, this has fun. been fun. I appreciate you doing it. Happy. I had a lot of notes. We didn't get to all of it. We didn't but get that's to that. the yeah. that's the uh, point. We want to we want to get you back on. We hope this show's around a little bit longer. I'm sure so that you can be. come. <laughs> you can come back on and tell us even more because I had a lot more I wanted to talk to you about. But we got to some of the important stuff. Thank that's you. Fun. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. That was a great interview with Jeff Burton. It's nice to be teammates on the road with old Jeff and you know what else I enjoy about being on the road my quip oh that's right I got one too this thing's really uh, convenient oh man it's totally convenient. small package oh yeah yeah oh yeah oh yeah totally oh, yeah. that's all you got no well, I mean, you've got it there yeah <laughs> I got it here where yeah. is it Mike right next to you where well, at the car I can't even see it the car no it's so oh. small <laughs> So small and I'm convenient. I'm sorry. I, you're right. You did tell me this yesterday. Uh, th- this is it. The, the, Your refill pack. Is this Dale's refill pack? Yeah, man. Okay. So, yeah, you got a refill pack coming. Let me check this thing out. Yeah, come on. I mean, look. It. <laughs> it's all sealed up nicely. I, when, I ha- when I'm holding this package, well, look. I'm thinking this is very clean, very sterile. I'm going to open this up. What's inside? What are the contents of this package? Well, there appears to be a brand new bottle of toothpaste yeah. mint in flavor and then the bristles then a, a, a new toothbrush head yeah this is the refill part which i like this so when the one thing i like about this toothbrush head is the length of it like the bristles you get a lot of bristles here right yeah i feel like if there's more bristles i'm doing a little more cleaning mm-hmm. some of the some of the electrical toothbrushes i've used had these tiny little heads on man i'm thinking like i don't know is that doing everything they I got to, just those little round heads that yeah, you know just are moving yeah not feeling it's doing enough right i don't know right doing enough is it doing enough? 
Well, I don't know. I I think that'd be a question for your dentist. It's dainty, small, doesn't seem like it could get the job done. So this thing, plenty of bristles, got a lot of surface here. Going to clean a lot of teeth. All right? Oh, here it's we go. because my cat. I knew it. I knew it. What? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, a lot of oh teeth. you think I'm talking about Mike's big teeth? That's where you think this is going. You guys need to be a little bit nicer. Y'all need to be a little bit nicer. Thank you. Thank you. To for Mike. Little, thank you. Thank you. It didn't even occur to him, Leah, that I have... Incredible teeth. Incredible teeth. Well, right. I'm going to tell you... <laughs> Did I have the uh, bristles uh, head for you there, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Now, you didn't have to go. Yeah, we, we were doing good right here. No, they make a bigger size I'm just for saying. But listen, can I just say this? It is nice, though. Like I think every three months they come in and give you a new yeah. uh, replacement with the uh, toothpaste and the new toothbrush head because I think we've said here before, nothing is worse when those toothbrushes get wore out and people still brushing with them it's not effective yeah they're gonna make sure that this is still effective brush by giving you replacement heads yeah and you don't have to think about it that's right i mean there's a have you thought about what actually makes a, a toothbrush better mike is it the industrial strength power of a toothbrush mm. well you know i've never <laughs> went that deep into it but you know what i mean i think that uh, you're probably on is something it there. the claims of trendy ingredients Ooh, I d- multiple no, I don't modes think I, I, like i don't even care about the modes no nah, me neither just work. Did I want to turn it on. Right. And it goes, I don't need a mode. <laughs> no. I don't need different no. variants no. in that. No. Losers care about that. Well, if you ask your dentist, Mike, they'll tell you that it's less about the brush and more about how you use it. So it really is you. You're the ingredient. You're the special ingredient. Mike. Thank you. Thank so you. It's up to you whether good. you get them teeth clean or not. Not the, <laughs> not the trendy ingredients or the modes. And that's where Quip comes in. Quip sensitive vibrations. Mm. With a built-in timer, guide gentle brushing for the dentist recommended two minutes. That's right. With 30-second pulses, ensuring an even clean. I like those Quip pulses. automatically delivers brush heads to you every three months, as you said, Mike. That's right. Uh, so you got clean new bristles right on schedule. The sleek, intuitive design is simple to use and comes with a travel cap that doubles as a mirror mount. Really? Yeah, I don't use that as oh, a you mirror don't? mount. Nope. It's awesome, man. You just stick it on your mirror. I'm sure it is. I'm it's just saying I don't now. use it. I way. like the fact that the I can encase the bristle part because yeah. I, you Germs. know, you brush, it's all nasty and wet. Of course, you try to dry it off. Um, but I, 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 I'm a little weird about drying my bristle bristles off with a towel from like a hotel or something. That's, I don't know about that. Right. So now I'm wiping it on my shirt. Uh, but either either way, <laughs> but I mean, the end result is it's going back in my bag, my toiletry bag, open, uncovered. And so now, now I love that you get this little cap that covers the bristles. Uh, these thoughtful features make brushing something you actually want to do twice every day. Good habits matter to live a healthier life. So help form fresh oral health habits with Quip. That's a damn mouthful. Yeah. Pun intended. Quip starts at just $25 and you'll get your first refill free. At getquip.com slash Dale Jr. There's a simple way to help support our show and start brushing better, but you have to go to getquip.com, getquip.com slash Dale Jr. to get your first refill free. Go there right now, getquip.com slash Dale Jr. If you enjoy that conversation with Jeff Burton about Team Rubicon, then you're going to love what Mountain Dew has helped me put together for these next three episodes. Mountain Dew is championing the power of doing. In this day and age, there's a lot of talk, but it's the doing that leaves a mark. 
Mountain Dew knows that no matter who you are, one person or a group of people, you can make an impact through your actions. That is why Mountain Dew and I teamed up with Team Rubicon to champion selfless men and women who truly embody what it means to do the do. To learn more about Team Rubicon's work, go to teamrubiconusa.org. And if you want to learn more about the amazing people that make up this fine organization, make sure to tune in for the next three weeks. All right, guys, the um, Team Rubicon relationship is a great one. We're, yeah. We're, uh, we're glad to continue that. I, I didn't know how that was going to continue. You know, it's sort of organic how it started on through social media. You remember? Yes. Sort of re- uh, uh, reaching out to them through social media um, and then connecting that with Mountain Dew and so forth. And now we've got this relationship that's continuing through many different uh, variables with Jeff Burton and the Bahamas and so forth and the Booth Boys. And uh, so pretty awesome yeah. to be able to continue that. But, yeah, this that was a wild weekend in, in NASCAR. Talladega yeah. delivered. <laughs> I was uh, really shocked at the two- and three-wide racing that sustained itself throughout the entire race. Typically, we see the guys get up uh, on the high side and sort of chill out for a while. There's a lull in the action at, at um, pretty much most of the Talladega races. Not this one. Mm-mm. For whatever reason, uh, the new motor uh, rules as far as a tapered spacer, they've got – gotten away from the restrictor plates and there is a difference apparently uh between the two and how the car responds and also this giant ass spoiler on the back of the car <laughs> as you so eloquently put it right on the broadcast yeah it's just <laughs> sometimes you're in the broadcast and you're comfortable yeah and you're honest all the time if you're honest all the time sometimes you're going to speak the way you speak to your friends and that's one of the things that we hear a lot from our uh, fans and supporters is that you know, it's it sounds like the broadcast is just hang, you know, just friends hanging out, like they're sitting at the bar listening to their buddies talk about the race, and sometimes those those worlds sort of collide and they 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 merge, and uh, that's kind of what happened there. Is I got sort of carried away. I hate the, I hate the visual look of that spoiler. Um, it's ugly, and it's huge and obnoxious. There's no there's no one in the world right now that could argue with the fact that it is the most obnoxious, ugly rear spoiler. Uh, now, the wing was pretty ugly, too. But the, in, in spoiler terms, this has to be an all-time low uh, for NASCAR. But it's effective in what it does. It creates uh, big runs, and it, create, it, it has a role in, if you like the racing, it has a role in that. Mm-hmm. It, ha- it, played a, it plays a role in giving you the racing that you enjoy. But it's ugly. And it's big ass. And it's annoying. And so I think when I was saying that, that was me sort of popping off. I'm surprised you went this long. Frankly, everybody tells you, be yourself, be yourself. Man, you went a year and a half without saying big ass, uh, you know, on a telecast. I was impressed. Well, I thought I was in real trouble when I did it because we're on NBC, the big network. It's okay, I guess, if you're on NBCSN to let one slip because Kyle Petty has said hell and a few other things on the – on the uh, NASCAR America shows and whatnot. So I text my boss, Sam, immediately from the booth while we're standing there. I said, I cussed. That's unfortunate. And he said, it's not the first time that you've cussed on national television for NBC at Talladega. <laughs> referencing, <laughs> That's right. Referencing the time I said 2000, shit in 2004. 2004. Yeah. So he, he was, that let me know right away it was all right and uh, didn't have anything to worry about or wasn't going to get a stern talking to um I just and and when I said that on Twitter, people's people's reaction was you don't have to apologize for that. 
Well, it's not that I felt like I needed to um, apologize as much as I never just want to disappoint my boss, right? Mm. I've He's hired me to, and he, he has this vision uh, or expectation of what I'm going to be doing every day. And boy, do uh, I, I don't want to let him down. So, um, but anyways, it worked out. Everybody seemed to get a laugh out of it. Uh, and anyhow, we had a great race. End of the race. So uh, let's cover it, man. Coming right. down to the finish, the uh, 12 car of Ryan Blaney goes, uh, fakes to the outside, then goes to the inside of Ryan Newman. They come down the front straightaway. Newman gave him about seven-eighths of a car length. There wasn't a whole car length there for Ryan to go through. Ryan was intent on staying above the yellow line. They made contact. It turned Ryan's car sideways. He corrected the car, ended up at one point below the yellow line, and then crossed the finish line. Um, I think fans are drawing a parallel to the truck race where they uh, penalized uh, Sauter. Yep. Um, they did not penalize Newman. Uh, NASCAR had a reason for doing that, and uh, I think the uh, you know I don't I don't I, right or wrong you know I don't really I used to years ago go ah, that was a bad call. Uh, I, I, this is a good call. But I, don't, I don't even do that anymore. Um, I don't. I don't even do that anymore. I'm far. I'm past that and on to. Do we need a line rule? Mm. Do we even need it? Right. If this, like, so this is the situation for me. The yellow line rule keeps coming up, and with the way the cars draft and race now, more than often we're going to have cars trying to pass, coming through the tribal on the very last lap at Talladega. That's just because of the way the rules are. There's always going to be a car trying to pass another one coming to that position of the racetrack, and we're going to, or down the back straightaway, whatever, whatever it is. And even during the race, the, line, the yellow line rule seems to be coming up race after race after race. We talk about it at some point in February. There's a dispute. There's a controversy, whether it trucks, Xfinity, and it happened again this past weekend. My reaction to that isn't what it, what can we do about the rule. My reaction to that is let's get rid of it. Let's get it off the freaking table. Hell yeah. What the hell? Why do we why do we put ourselves in a position? Why do we want to go into next year with the same opportunity to have the same controversy, to have the same stink, to have the same disputes, to have the fans in an uproar? Why do we want to keep going back? We got to just get, get rid of it. Just can, get rid of the rely. Can, can, can we at least um, uh, recognize what was the point of the rule to begin with? Let's start there. The point of the rule was to do what? The point of the rule really was they the they felt like that cars would go below the line, and then trying to merge back into racing traffic, it was creating crashes. Yeah, right. Right. Creating accidents. Now we didn't. The line we had a lot of accidents Sunday, tons. Yeah, none created by the yellow line. That's true, right? Pile ups, plenty of action, plenty of crashes, more than anybody could ever expect. It was right? carnage. It was none created by the yellow line. If anything, maybe taking that yellow line rule away might cause less wrecks. If anything, I don't believe that it will add to the carnage. Um, I just feel like that, you know, allow the drivers to police themselves is, is probably in some situations where it's a judgment call, 
and the yellow line rule apparently is a judgment call because it's hard for you know NASCAR has to get into the middle of intent, uh, how severe was the block, all this all this nonsense. It's better, I think, in those situations just to let the drivers police themselves. If the drivers want to try to pass on the apron and be daring and be be dangerous and courageous, allow it. Let it happen. Yep. What's 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 the harm, right? Well, there's an they're already to that. they're already crashing. Yeah. Uh, yes, uh, I, I, without I mean, you know. So what? Go ahead. If you if you I, want to dis- dispute that, I don't know if I want to dispute it. I I I remember when the rule got implemented, and it was exactly what you just said. It was to quote unquote protect the drivers from themselves yes. because we know that rules basically happen because I think there was though, a, there was a precedent or an incident that happened. And so they, they look at it and say, okay, we have to act on it and let's implement a rule because if we, you know, somebody must have, I don't remember what happened, but somebody must have come up in traffic and caused it. Yeah. Now, I don't think at any time NASCAR felt like that was going to uh, uh, solve the crashing problem. If they, do, they took one basically of 10 different ways drivers can crash themselves and tried to eliminate one. Did it work? I don't know. Then I don't know. I don't have a problem with the yellow line rule coming up every year because I think that drivers will take advantage of any any opportunity that you got. If there's a no yellow line rule, they will go down there to try to pass and Fine. advance their position. Right, right, right. So, so um, then NASCAR doesn't have to jump in and make make yeah. a decision. Then, then we don't have to have a a stink about the end of the truck race versus the cup race. Hundred percent. We don't I, have I agree to. With that. N- none of that is a conversation anymore. I didn't yeah. even see – I didn't think any of those, or those two were very similar at all. I thought they were definitely different. I think that I end up being is – you drivers would know more about that than anybody else. And so if you felt like that that's something that you you don't feel less safe you, uh, you know, by doing it, then you drivers can make that decision. And, uh, and, you know, there's a lot of drivers that don't want to race at Talladega to begin with, yeah. the yellow line rule or not. Well, I'm not a driver in well, the sense of any – you know, so I don't have a – driver's perspective i'm not going to have a driver's perspective i'm a viewer i'm a fan i want less i want less mud in the face of the sport i got from a from a from a from a credibility standpoint from you know so going forward if this is creating a credibility issue and this is a bad optic for the sport let's just get it get rid of it and allow the drivers to handle it look you know you're going to have drivers that are not willing to lift that are going to dive onto that apron and create a mess, they're going to have to stand in front of their peers responsible for those repercussions. Mm-hmm. And that, so in that sense, that's what I mean by the drivers policing themselves. you got a guy out there that makes a mistake, goes on the apron and creates a problem for everybody. He's going to have to think about that the next time he's in that situation because mm-hmm. the drivers are going to let him know mm-hmm. that he made a mistake. Mm-hmm. All right? And that they don't think that what he did was the right thing to do, and over time, things will work themselves out. Drivers will understand what the etiquette is, where NASCAR doesn't have to react, doesn't have to jump in and try to save the drivers from themselves. And so, I don't know. I, I just, I if it's any kind of a shame or a embarrassment on the sport as a whole for its credibility and growth and future, I hate it. I don't like it. But, and you're already going – are you saying that it is? I feel like that any time there's dispute where the – if they're if, – if the race ends and the fans have a negative opinion – Gotcha. – about a choice NASCAR had to make or a decision NASCAR had to make 
about the end result of the race, we got an issue. I got gotcha. you. You want the it doesn't need it's to same, be yeah. any ambiguity on how the what race winner was determined. Yeah. Period. Other than crossing the finish line first. Right. And so similar to where the NFL's having problems even from last night's Monday night football game with the Lions about disputes about the the penalties and how it's costing teams games, right? Um, I want NASCAR to get out of the judgment call business. I'm sure NASCAR would love to be out of that. They would love to not have to make judgment calls or make any decisions. So I don't know if we – I'm telling you, I feel like it won't happen tomorrow. It might not happen next year. But that yellow line rule is not forever. One day it's going to be gone. One day NASCAR and somebody's going to realize, look, this is – this is something we just don't even need to get in the middle of anymore. Let the drivers handle it and be done with it. You make a good argument, actually. I, and, and I didn't know where I netted out on it, but you make the point of it's not about say, look, everybody's intentions on rules are always good. You know, there's, there's restrictor plates on the motors because why? Teams made those cars so fast, couldn't keep them on the track. So you got to restrict them. Does anybody love restrictor plates? No. Does it make a better show if they were off? Yeah. Would they be flying off the track? Yeah. But they did it to protect. So, like, the intentions of these rules are good. You make a very solid point of let's, let's find a solution that doesn't leave NASCAR having to make judgment calls where the winner of the race actually didn't cross the line first. And that is a fair argument because nobody wants to go pay money or watch a race or devote your time and not actually know who won the race yeah. When, when they, after they just watched a, a guy win, right? Um, and that's fair. I think they made rule changes just over you know, the past few years to eliminate a lot of that, right? You, know, you didn't want to go on Tuesday or Wednesday going, who won the race? Yeah. Oh, somebody got their uh, win stripped. They, they eliminated that. That's, maybe that's something that uh, NASCAR can work towards. Uh, and if it's eliminating the yellow line rule, so be it. I just, I work, there's just so many drivers out there that I, if I'm racing, I wouldn't want them going to the apron and cutting back in traffic because I have no confidence that they know how to do it or would do it without taking everyone out. But I can't say that that's the only way they would take out the whole field either. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I will say uh, one thing that irks me about it that nobody, I've heard nobody talk about is, okay, if, you, if that Johnny Sauter deal with Riley Herbst happened with six to go and they made that little bit of contact and they came back and they were in the same position, it wouldn't have been a penalty. But because it was on the last lap with that yellow line rule, now you got a, 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 a guy that was in third or second or so there winning, and Johnny Sauter's relegated to 14th place. How do you know it wouldn't have been a penalty? Because yeah. they didn't advance their position in the block. Oh. It wouldn't have been a penalty. If that was six to go, that would have just been, oh, racing. They, 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 I don't know. They might have penalized Johnny for blocking. They've done it before in the middle of the race. So yeah, I, mean, you, you, I hear what you're saying, but you're being subjective on I'm it. I'm being subjective, for yes. sure. So yes. my, we, we, my, they could have penalized. My whole point is I don't want to hear this whole conversation yeah. ever right. again. So get rid of the yeah. rule. I don't want to debate it. I don't want to wonder what that. happened six, you know, if it was six, halfway through the race. No disrespect. Yeah. I like your point, but I don't want to argue it. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to stand in the booth and watch it. Yeah. Mm. I don't want to have to wait for NASCAR to view it. Right. None of that crap. Take it out. We yep. should be talking about the run that Newman had with Denny Hamlin pushing and, Bl- and Blaney. Yeah. And, I mean, because it was a sick race. You're yeah. right. I, sick I, I totally get your point. No, for sure. Because yeah. that was a heck of a race, a heck of a finish. Didn't you know? Newman shot out of a cannon. It, 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 oh man, the it, rules. Insane. I think the rules that we ought to, you know, the rules. If the rules are black and and white, you know, if there's a pure line of right and wrong, such as uh, intolerance in a motor and and Heights on a car, 
you know, or whatever. You know, a, a black and white rule is one thing, but any judgment call, man, that's just bad for business. All right, this isn't just an ad read. It is an advertisement, but it's a little more personal, Mike. That's right. I love to find out about my ancestry, and it's uh, something I've been doing for a really long time. I can't, I'm, I don't know. Long time. Ten years or yeah. something like that. Yeah, at least. Um, and I've done a lot of my own work on Ancestry.com to learn about my genealogy. The Earnhardt family came over to North America from Germany. That's right. They migrated uh, to Philadelphia, and then they moved southbound to Salisbury, North Carolina, Concord, Kannapolis. A lot of info I have about my lineage came to life directly from Ancestry.com. And uh, now they have the Ancestry DNA. And it gives you so much more than just the places you're from. It connects you to the places in the world where your story started using precise geographic detail and clear-cut historical insights. Amplify your results by starting a free trial on Ancestry. And build a tree so that your ancestors become more than just a name. They've combined DNA results with over 100 million family trees and billions of records, billions of records to give you more insight into your genealogy and origins. Only Ancestry can tell you such a rich story with unique features that give a more complete picture about a person, like events that shaped them, how they made a living, and what they excelled in. It's so easy to get started. So basically think about it like this. You start the tree on Ancestry.com. It's all right there in front of you, flat on a page. The Ancestry DNA creates a three-dimensional vi- a view of your family's history it really brings it off the page and sort of makes it tangible go to ancestry.com slash dale jr today for 20 percent off your ancestry dna kit that's ancestry.com slash dale jr for 20 percent off your ancestry dna kit ancestry.com slash dale jr i did it i want you guys to try it too Keep coming, bud. White flag, bud. White flag right there. White flag. White flag. All right. Follow Dirty Mo Media on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. At Dirty Mo Media is where Leah wants you to be. Isn't that right, Leah? At Dirty Mo Media. Also, don't forget the Dell Jr. Download has a sister podcast on Dirty Mo Media. It's called Door Bumper Clear. Going to be a big one this week, guys. I mean, you know, coming out of Talladega, Clint Boyer's got some work to do. Um, uh, I'm sure Brett and TJ will have a big conversation about all of that. So uh, make sure you catch that. Available now, the paperback edition of Dale Jr.'s New York Times bestselling book, Racing to the Finish. You can go to DaleJr.com slash book right now and go ahead and purchase that. Uh, I got one good Apple rating review, uh, rating and review this week. It came from Austin BMX. I want to read it to you guys. Man, the Bubba Wallace interview really hit home for me. I never had heard someone talk about a situation any closer than mine. I'm 28 now and experienced a similar story with my father about six years ago. And even as a young adult, it's just not easy to experience something like this happening to your family. So I gained a whole new level of respect for Bubba talking so openly about his personal life. And I think that uh, a lot of feedback last week and uh, would suggest the same thing, is that Bubba Wallace, whether you agreed with him or didn't agree with him on how he handled the Alex Bowman situation, his transparency and his openness about the family situations was really endearing, uh, and I really appreciated that for him. And by the way, our TV show typically comes out on Tuesdays, but this week, because of the rain delay, it's going to be on Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern on NBC Sports Network. So that show, Jeff Burton Show, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. Between those practices. Uh, And that's White Flag. We've got some odd history. 
1988, NASCAR held an exhibition race, the Goodyear 500K, mm. at Calder Park in Melbourne, Australia. Weeks before the event, teams put their race cars, tools, and spare parts in shipping containers and loaded them onto boats for the trip to the land down under. However, one team took the term down under to a new extreme. The team owned by California driver St. James Davis <laughs> tried to save money by also putting their engine builder in what? the shipping container with the race car. The slow trip by boat from Los Angeles to Australia, approximately 8,000 miles, meant that the crew member would have to spend the next three weeks locked in a small, dark metal box. Oh, God. <laughs> According to a report by Chris Economaki, he was given a sleeping bag and a pillow for comfort inside the car. For food, the team gave him two cans of Spam, two boxes of Twinkies, a box of cookies, three bags of candy, and little else. What about water? For three weeks. I'm certain he had some water. (laughs) After three days of hiding, the engine builder couldn't take it any longer and walked onto the boat's deck where he was arrested by the captain of the vessel. He was delivered to Australian immigration officials who held him for two days and then released him into the custody of the racetrack. The crew member, named Mitch, then worked for the track during the race to pay for a return ticket back home. After all the trouble, the 22 Buick that he planned to work on, driven by frugal owner St. James Davis, Completed only two laps in the race and finished in last God. place. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's Ridiculous. Oh, I think you should be ashamed, Mr. Davis. Yeah, St. James. Uncle St. James. He's bringing, bad, he's bringing bad juju <laughs> on the Davis my, name. Yeah, that's the way I feel. I feel <laughs> How much do you have to have shame. to drink to be like at night in the race shop, man? Like, hey, man, let's, let's just put you in that. Let's just put you in that cargo. Yeah, they must have been strapped for cash. <laughs> must have been expensive to get everybody over there. Well, if you're going to finish two, uh, just you know, complete two laps, <laughs> might be consider just not sending the engine builder next time. Save a lot of money. <laughs> Great show! Thanks for tuning in. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo.